Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your host, Nat Strawn and Allie. Welcome back, everybody, to episode 63. Wow. Wow. We're getting so close. Episode 69, you guys, is coming out on 420, which means that episode 69 comes out before episode 68. Now, you might be saying, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do that? And yeah. to you, I say, it's not its none of your business. There's no time to explain. This is what we've chosen. I couldn't sleep at all last night because it's like starting to get where like the baby is just like kicking in my ribs and stuff. So... I, I feel like I just like can't even process numbers right now. Well, pregnancy brain is a very real thing. And I feel like pregnancy brain is because you have a fetus haunting your body. Like you have a person inside of you. Like think of a possession. It's somebody oh. else inside of you. That's what oh, you're right. living through right now. Oh, right. Yeah. No, my body is being totally possessed right now. Like exactly high key let's thank our donors yes you guys we need to thank our donors this episode i would like to thank naya e kelsey s sam h amber h joey m victoria l julia m leah h rebecca h phineas c amber o amanda elena b tara or tara Natty B, Alicia C, Maria O, Bree, and Cy. And I want to give a crazy fucking special shout out to Amber O because Amber donated the largest donation we have ever gotten in LGH history. In fact, it was so large that I thought that she had made a mistake with the decimal point. And I like sent a text to Natalia and I was like, this person absolutely made a mistake. I'm going to, I'm going to refund them. But she did not make a mistake. She donated $666 to the podcast. That wasn't a mistake. I was waiting to hear back from you on that. I just assumed it was a mistake too. No, it wasn't a mistake. She just said that she really likes the show. Oh my God. Thank you so much. That's yeah. That's really, really, really so nice and so helpful too because the shit that we've been going through with our stupid <laughs> merch supplier. Oh my God. Also, we just renewed our SoundCloud hosting fee. So thank you. That's going to go towards that. I mean, we have our website hosting fees and there's a lot of shit. So I really fucking appreciate it. Also, Amber, if you can send your, maybe I'll reach out to you actually, but so I might cut this out, but if you're listening to this and you can send us your address, we'll send you an enamel pin because that's crazy. That is insanity. VIP. Thank you so much. I also want to thank Kate K, Harvey A, Femi H, and Kathleen O for donating. Thank you guys so much. And if you guys want to donate, you can Venmo at Nat Strawn or go to paypal.me slash Nat Strawn. Or you can cash app me at dollar sign Natalia Strawn. Or you can send money to Alyssa by Venmoing me at USA. Or if you go to letsgethaunted.com, not only do we have new merch out right now, which is also an announcement we didn't make last episode, but if you go to letsgethaunted.com in the upper right-hand corner of your browser, if you're on a computer, there is a big button that says donate, and that will take you to our Ko-fi account. And somebody made a donation to our Ko-fi account a couple of episodes ago. I tweeted about this, but I don't think I talked about it on an episode yet. Uh, they donated 
Kofi Gold to us, which basically means that we get a year of a Kofi subscription, which previously we were just using the free version of Kofi. And I had, I'm not super sure what all of the features are yet for Kofi Premium, but I know, for example, I got to change it so that instead of donating us a coffee, people can now donate us a cup of holy water, which is really fucking exciting. Oh. So if you'd like to... Wow, we need that. Yes, we absolutely do. If you guys want to unhaunt us, you can make a donation of one cup of holy water on our Kofi account. And also, I wanted to shout out Grace K, who made a donation last month for $100. And normally when people make um, anything above 100 they get a shout out. And I forgot to shout you out, Grace. I forgot to say, like, fuck, thank you. Thank you so much. And also, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, man, I can't donate that much. We have people regularly donate us $0.69. Cents, $4.20. Cents. $6.66. Like anything, we are so grateful. Yeah, seriously, it all adds up. It really does. And we're really appreciative of you guys and we love you and feel really grateful that we are able to put out this podcast with all of your guys' help because as you know, through no choice of our own, we have no sponsors. So So we really do appreciate it. I know we make a lot of jokes. Also, Before I get into today's story, Natalia, I just really quickly wanted to shout out all of our social media accounts because I know we have some new listeners from the Dynamic Banter crew. So if you'd like to follow us, here are our socials. Instagram, at Let's Get Haunted. Twitter, at Let's Get Haunted. Reddit, r slash Let's Get Haunted. We also have a Facebook account, which is facebook.com slash Let's Get Haunted. And we have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Let's Get Haunted. Yeah. Oh, we also have a Discord. And I saw some people in the subreddit saying, hey, where can I find a link to the Discord? If you go to our Twitter, our pinned tweet is our link tree. And at the bottom of the link tree is a link to the Discord server if you'd like to join. And Natalia, I know you spend a lot of time in the server. Do you want to give people a... Uh, taste what's that like what's it like in there it's absolute fucking chaos (laughs) if you have the attention span of a rabbit and you also uh really like to feel a community vibe of other people who are the same as you you (laughs) should hit up the discord it's fun you know there's a nat chat in there that i check really regularly one of our channels is a nat chat where you can talk to me on there um we also like people have like spooky channels on there there's like a haunted not safe for work but it's like it's like not nudes though it's like cats and stuff there's a lot of (laughs) memes on there you guys it's heavy it's heavy memed it's heavily memed yeah. And I will say I went in there and I was like, this discord is wild. And then someone responded to me and they were like, it's called discord. And they got more upvotes than I did on my own <laughs> like channel. And I was like, OK, clearly I've lost control of the net. <laughs> Incredible. I love it. I fucking love it. I also um, we just posted to our Instagram account. We normally post about four fan arts a week. And one of the fan arts from this week is one of our listeners drew a like a chaotic as fuck illustration of a possum smashing a nut button. And then it says in like <laughs> scribbled, like slender man writing above it, it just says there's no time to explain. And one of the comments uh, that somebody left was like, this is the perfect, like, perfect image for Let's Get Haunted because it's so chaotic, but also somehow fancy. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yes. 
<laughs> it is fancy. It is. We do take we do take ourselves very seriously in our own way. Like once the intro comes off, we go into serious mode. That's right. And speaking of which, Natalia, are you ready for this week's episode? I am ready. Okay, Natalia. So today's episode is our first ever episode on a haunting in the country of Spain. We have never covered a Spanish haunting ever. Really? Really. I checked. Okay. I'm with you. Okay. Okay. I'm <laughs> fucking excited. <laughs> okay. So I honestly, when you told me today was, you were like, it's our first episode ever. I was like, oh shit. Is it? And then I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> Has this all been a fever dream? Yeah. <laughs> For, okay. Let me tell you how our show works guys listening guys and gals and non-binary pals so i went on r slash unexplained mysteries i think was the subreddit and i had seen this topic get a bunch of upvotes and i was like oh that looks interesting so i like kind of skimmed through it and i was like well that's really interesting but it's not enough material for one full episode as this like happens to me and natalia all the time where someone will request a story or we'll see something and it's cool and it's interesting but it, it's not going to take up an hour of time. So what I decided to do today is talk about three different ghost stories from the region of Andalusia in Spain. And Natalia, I'm going to text you a map. I know where Andalusia. that is. That's where the Andalusian squid comes from. I've been saying this a lot and I've been trying to not say it on the podcast, but I don't think I can contain myself anymore. I don't know why, but I've just started saying hell yeah, brother, in a Hulk Hogan voice every time anyone says anything to me. So I'm letting you guys know, listeners, because it's probably going to happen during this episode. I like that. I feel so, very supported by that. feel safe. Yeah. Hell yeah, brother. So That's I'm not a Hulk Hogan anyone... voice. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. So I just sent you a map of Andalusia, and I'm hoping that you can read off the different regions that appear in Andalusia to our listeners right now. Andalusia is sandwiched by the Atlantic Ocean and the Alboran Sea. It's right above Morocco. Mm -hmm. It's basically southern Spain. And they've got Huelva, Seville, Cordoba, Jaén, Granada, Almeria, Malaga, and Cadiz. For those who don't know, Spain is divided up into 17 different regions called autonomous communities. And Andalusia, as Natalia said, is the southernmost autonomous community in the country. And it's also the most populous, which with over 8 million Spaniards living in the region. So for people who have visited Spain, odds are you've probably been to Andalusia because it is the most populous. It has a lot of really famous landmarks. So Andalusia is also, without a doubt, the most haunted region in all of Spain, and its eight provinces each offer their own unique ghost stories and folklore. Mm. So those eight provinces are the names that Natalia just read off to you. And before I get into some of my favorite Andalusian ghost stories that I found during my research, I am going to tell you which regions we're covering today. So if you look at that map in front of you, I am going to tell you a ghost story from the region of Seville, hmm. the region of Malaga, and the region of 
Haen. Mm. And if you guys want to see all of the photos that I'm going to be talking about today and that Natalia is going to be describing to you, you can go to at Let's Get Haunted on our Instagram where I'm going to post the photo dump for this episode. So our first ghost story for today comes from the province of Seville. In the province of Seville, a nun named Sister Ursula is said to stalk the halls of the Andalusian Parliament building. According to legend, Sister Ursula was a nun of the Order of Charity who worked at El Hospital de las Cinco Llagas, or the Hospital of the Five Holy Wounds. During the 17th century, a quarter of Seville's population died during a plague. The main hospital at the time was the Hospital of the Five Holy Wounds, and the majority of plague-ridden citizens were brought there for treatment. Around 26,000 plague victims entered the hospital alive, but of those patients, nearly 23,000 perished. Mm. According to legend, Sister Ursula roamed the halls of the hospital and was known for being particularly cruel to the dying people within. Because of this, when she herself died of a painful unknown illness, nobody at the hospital was particularly sad. Then, her ghostly visage began appearing in the hospital's hallways. Slowly at first, her eyes would appear in a smoky haze before quickly fading away. Mm. Over time, her soul became more powerful until her entire silhouette could be seen entering patients' rooms. Her spirit carried with it a heavy set of skeleton keys, capable of opening any door in the hospital. Patients would hear the metallic jingling of her key ring making its way down the hospital halls late at night, growing louder and louder as she grew closer. Then the jingling would stop when she reached the hospital room she was looking for. If you were unlucky enough to be in the room she chose, you would see the door slowly creak open as the nun's black silhouette slipped through the cracks. Her dark soul would then materialize completely, forming a full-bodied apparition in front of her victim. She would then strike down the victim, reaching into its body to pull out the struggling soul and drag it with her back to hell. For this reason, Sister Ursula became synonymous with the Grim Reaper himself. So, Natalia, I am going to send you a picture... Wait, what? I have to process that. So this is a ghost that kills you? Yes, this is basically the Grim Reaper of Seville. And she was basically, she was a nun who worked at this hospital during a plague in the 17th century in Spain. And rather than like take care of people in while she was alive, rather than like be nice and have good bedside manner and help people, she actually was just super cruel and indifferent. And yeah. then she died of this mysterious illness, but her soul is thought to still haunt that building. So I, I... just sent you a picture. Um, it is an illustration from 1738 and i'd like you to describe it to our listeners this is a black and white illustration and uh it looks like a big you know like 200 year old building kind of yeah like it's just a big i'm guessing it's the hospital because there's two cherubs at the top of it and they have a banner that says uh it's hospital d no hospital de las 
La Sangre de Sevilla. Yeah, so the hospital had two different names. It was called um, El Hospital de la Sangre, which is Hospital of the Blood. And it also was called Hospital of the Five Holy Wounds or El Hospital de las Cinco Llagas. That's like not a place I want to go when I'm sick. Like a place (laughs) called Hospital of the Blood. Like, don't you want to go to a place that's like chill and comfy hospital.com like i don't know not hospital of wounds blood and wounds yeah it should be called hospital of the you're gonna be fine yeah like i want to go to that one yeah right so i just sent you two more historical photos yeah this looks haunted as fuck this is a black and white photo of a nun and she's not just any nun, like a nurse nun. This is like straight up when you see a horror movie, you know, like the nuns that come back to life, they look like this. Like it's got this crazy white nun hat. I don't even know what this is called. This is just a scary looking fucking nun <laughs> in front of a bunch of like old timey steampunk machines. And then the second photo is another very haunted, creepy looking nun standing in a room. And in this hospital and it's weird because like all of their technology just looks like weird steampunk like furnaces with tassels hanging off of them and like weird bottles and there's like legitimately like steam valves and stuff so I could see why this hospital is called hospital of the blood because you probably go there and lose a lot of it (laughs) exactly well and as we just learned in its heyday it's like heyday of operation was during a plague right and only only 3,000 people made it out of that hospital alive during that plague and in fact sister ursula herself died during that time we don't know what she died from all we know is that nobody was sad because she was a bitch okay so yeah got that much you may think that the story ends there but the hospital remained in operation until 1972 when it was abandoned for several years before being converted into the andalusian parliament building During the conversion process, many construction workers reported seeing Sister Ursula wandering through the halls, groaning and moaning as she checked for patients in empty rooms. During renovations, a mass grave was even uncovered on the former hospital's grounds, thought to perhaps be the bodies of plague victims. Rather than leave the remains intact or give them a proper burial, the construction company is said to have used a bulldozer to crush the human remains until they were pushed into one manageable pile. After this, the skeletons and bone fragments were transported to a different mass grave off-site. Renovations finished in 1992, and shortly thereafter, politicians began working within the former hospital. In a 1995 interview with politician Jose Ceballos, Ceballos remarked that every member of parliament knew about Sister Ursula's presence. In fact, many of the politicians had seen her before and made sure to walk in pairs for protection if they were in the building at night. On one occasion, a female politician was walking through the parliamentary halls when she saw Sister Ursula floating above her in a balcony. Hardly believing her eyes, she caught the attention of a politician of the opposing party who happened to be walking near her. Together, they looked at the nun, who in turn stared back at them as she slowly floated, suspended in midair. In March of 2002, on a particularly frigid morning at 3.30 a.m., a nighttime security guard was making his rounds through the parliament building 
when he heard a muffled cry coming from one of the interior courtyards known as Patio 3. The voice wailed, Get me out of here! Please get me out of here! Get me out of here for God's sake! The security guard quickened his pace, fearing that someone was in danger. But when he got to the courtyard entrance, there, before his eyes, was the translucent and spectral nun. The security guard had just enough time to call for help on his radio, but when his colleague arrived, it was too late. The guard was cold to the touch and dead on the floor. Another what? victim of Sister Ursula. What? Why, uh, I would not work there, first of all. I know. It's 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 so interesting how casual they are about it. They're like, yeah, we know. It. I even read this quote where this politician was saying, oh, yeah, she's on the payroll. Like, we know that she exists. Right. We know that she's here. And so we kind of just, like, work around her and try to, like, make her feel included and, like, give her offerings and stuff so that she's getting, quote, unquote, paid since we're all here doing work. This bitch needs therapy. (laughs) She needs therapy. Like, how do we give a ghost therapy? Because she was fucking miserable working there, hated her life, didn't like her job, obviously didn't love herself because how you treat others is how you think about yourself. And then she dies, and instead of being like, thank God I died, I'm like over my miserable life and my miserable existence, and I don't have to go to that job anymore. She's like, actually, I'm just going to like double down on this shitty personality and just take it to the max. And how about I just like ruin everyone else's life, even though I don't even know them? I don't like this lady. She definitely, there needs to be some sort of exorcism. I feel like therapy for ghosts is right. just an exorcism. Like, you oh, can move that's on. that's true. She needs, like, Dr. Phil. She does. She needs the person who made the fan art of the <laughs> devil as Dr. Phil. That is what Sister Ursula needs. Because apparently she is already dragging people to hell anyway. That's what part of the legend is, is that she's the Grim Reaper. So if you see her coming, you know you're going to die. And, in fact, that security guard died in 2002. After he radioed a colleague saying like the nun is here what is it about nuns that make them so terrifying they're like clowns you know like what is it about clowns yeah. and nuns <laughs> and nurses that make them so scary is it because we have like formative experiences with all of those three I, things i think it's the juxtaposition of like something that's supposed to be innocent and helpful turning into a demon right it's so like a nurse is supposed to help you get better so then if a nurse is literally killing you and dragging your soul to hell it's like there's nothing scarier a clown is supposed to be a happy little thing that yeah entertains children but then if he's like fucking eating children yeah like in a stephen king novel then it's like worst case scenario Man, you can't even make this stuff up like that nurse story or that nun story is freaking I don't like that at all. But I'm also kind of here for it because it's like a Grim Reaper that's a woman. And usually like we think of Grim Reaper, even though it should be sexless because it's literally just a skeleton. Um, I feel like I, for some reason, associated the Grim Reaper with being male. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree with you. I feel like every time I've ever seen the Grim Reaper portrayed in even cartoons and and stuff, it's always a male voice coming out of that black cloak. Right, right. Maybe I just assume that, like, the thing that's going to drag my soul to hell has to be a man. Right, but look at this. Sister Ursula is shattering the glass ceiling. She is breaking the glass floor of things that can drag you to hell. Do your thing, girl. Slay. Literally. 
Well, Natalia, this story may have unsettled you, but the next two ghost stories, the way I set this up is every story is worse than the last. Oh, no. Okay, Natalia, now it's time for another Andalusian haunting. And this one comes from the province of Malaga. In 1913, in Malaga, Andalusia, Spain, a family of five was standing in front of the Pasqualini Cinema in Calle Cordoba, selling hazelnuts to passersby around 6 p.m. While much of the details have been lost with the passage of time, we do know that the family consisted of a mother and father and their three sons, one of whom was a baby. Their middle son, nine-year-old Manuel Sanchez Dominguez, was playing on the street by the cinema as he did every day when his family peddled their hazelnuts. When it was time for the family to pack up and head home, Manuel's mother realized that she didn't see Manolito anywhere on the street. She assumed that he had snuck into the cinema to see a movie as he sometimes did. However, as minutes ticked by and dusk grew darker, she became worried and alerted the cinema guard. A search of the cinema and the surrounding area turned up no sign of the young boy. The police were alerted and soon the town was in a panic as volunteers and policemen scoured empty buildings, waterways, and brush in search of the missing boy. Three days later, children playing in the nearby swamp made a grisly discovery as they found the decaying corpse no. of Manuel Sanchez Dominguez, which had been carefully hidden under leaves and branches. Hmm. When authorities arrived on the scene to examine Manuel's body, they could not determine a cause of death. However, they did note a strange mark behind one of the boy's ears. Some articles describe the mark as a puncture wound, while other articles describe it as a cut or knife wound. Regardless, it appeared that someone had murdered Manuel after drawing blood from his head. What? As time passed without any leads in the case, families in Malaga remained on high alert. Children were no longer allowed to play in the streets alone, and rumors circulated of some sort of monster on the loose in the area. Six months after the discovery of Manuel's body, police received a tip. Apparently, a man who was drunk in a bar had started bragging about how he knew more than the police did about the horrific murder. The police tracked down the man and his friend who were known to locals as El Moreno and El Trapero. During the course of the police interrogation, both men ended up confessing to the murder, but the mystery was just beginning. According to El Moreno and El Trapero, they were stumbling together down the street one evening after a night of heavy drinking. It was a cold and misty night, and they were alone on the road as they headed home. Suddenly, they heard the clip-clopping noise of horse hooves on the pavement behind them. When they turned around, they observed a black horse-drawn carriage emerging out of the mist. The carriage came to a stop next to them, and a voice from within the darkened carriage spoke out to them. Although they could not see the face of the person who was speaking, the man within offered them a large sum of money for the blood of an innocent child. Being poor and jobless, the drunk men took up the mysterious carriage occupant on his offer. After staking out the local children... <laughs> Wait, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Never once have I been drunk and like been like, okay, let me go find the blood of an innocent child right now <laughs> because that sounds fun. <laughs> These guys, what the fuck? Come on, guys. Okay, sorry, continue. <laughs> so anyway, they tell the guy, yeah, for sure, dude, let's do it. 
And <laughs> the guy within the carriage basically tells them, okay, I'm going to give you a week. And in one week, I want you to meet me at a crossroads. And he gives them the name of these two streets, says, meet me at crossroads. this crossroads. And I want you to meet me there with the blood of a child. And if you do that, I will give you uh, like an insane amount of money. And the story, this story actually happened. I want you to know this actually happened. Um, like it's in history books and stuff. It's verifiable. There's police reports. All of this happened. But we don't know how much money the guys received. That's not in the report. So after staking out the local children for several days, the men encountered little Manolito playing alone in an alley near the cinema one day and lured him to the swamp. There, they tortured the boy before drawing his blood into a glass vial given to them by the man in the black carriage. Once they successfully drew blood, they felt that they had no choice but to kill Manuel since he had seen their faces and was already badly injured. Then, that same night, they went to a crossroads where the man had told them to meet and awaited the arrival of the carriage. At 3 a.m. exactly, they heard the familiar sound of horse hooves on pavement. The black carriage pulled up, and a single, pale white arm extended from beyond the carriage curtains. El Moreno placed the glass vial of blood into the pale hand, which temporarily disappeared from view within the carriage. Then the hand reappeared with a sack of coins. The sack was dropped into El Moreno's outstretched arms without either party saying a word. Then the carriage began to move forward until it disappeared again into the night. The person from the black carriage was never found by police. Speculation ran wild after this story ran in the press, with many townsfolk of the opinion that the wealthy aristocrat bullfighter Rafael Gomez Braley was behind the murder. There was a sincerely held belief in the 1900s in Spain among the upper class of the region that drinking a child's blood could treat illnesses like tuberculosis, and Braley had died of tuberculosis later that same year, which made him a tempting suspect. This idea of children's blood curing illness was so widespread that in the northern part of Spain in the autonomous community of Catalonia, a woman named Enriqueta Martí y Repollé was known to kidnap and murder children for their blood. Called the Vampire of Barcelona by the press, she was known to kidnap children off the street for the purposes of providing quote-unquote services to Barcelona's elite. She begged and joined bread queues at the local monasteries to find the most abandoned and vulnerable-looking children. She would then lure them with promises of a better life and take them to her brothel, where she prostituted them to the wealthy. She also <sighs> became a practicing witch doctor and used the blood, fat, hair, and bones of kidnapped children in her salves, ointments, potions, and elixirs, which she used to treat incurable diseases such as tuberculosis. The wealthy paid large sums of money for these remedies. While the vampire of Barcelona was operating in a different part of Spain and could not have been the man in the black carriage, the point remains that the market for the blood of children was alive and well in 1913 in Spain. The bullfighter Rafael Gomez Braley, who died of tuberculosis in Malaga in 1913, was never proven to have anything to do with the murder of Manuel Sanchez Dominguez. In fact, there were several sightings of the black horse-drawn carriage after Braley's death. The carriage was never caught by police and the occupants inside remained a mystery. It is said that late at night on Calle Cordoba in Malaga, 
you can still catch a glimpse of the black horse-drawn carriage. It is said to materialize out of the mist at the crossroads each evening at 3 a.m. If you are unlucky enough to be out alone at that time, you will see the carriage slowly approach you with no one at the reins. If you stay to watch the carriage, a pale white arm will extend from the carriage curtains, beckoning you to come closer. If you approach the arm and don't have an offering of children's blood to give it, the man will pull you in with a supernatural strength and take you away to turn your bones, fat, blood, and hair into elixirs to sell to Malaga's elite. What? What? Okay. So you're telling me in Malaga, there's a ghost carriage with a ghost vampire man in it who goes around crossroads at 3 a.m. finding unsuspecting citizens and propositions them for innocent children's blood and we have proof or we have evidence that points to this being a fact by a body of a little boy that was found with blood drawn from his head basically yes so and you know what's really interesting though like a twist on this story is okay it could be like a ghost vampire man but what if it's just a member of Mulligan's elite that is now immortal from drinking children's blood. Ah, no. Wait. Okay, but how is the car- this is going to sound unrelated, but it's not. How is the carriage not having anyone driving it and it has horses? That, because yes. if there's no one driving it, then it points to ghosts. Yeah, I agree with you. It definitely points to ghosts. But I was thinking in my head as I'm like imagining this, I was thinking, what if the reins are somehow going inside the carriage? I mean, there's no picture of the carriage. So what if this man is somehow controlling the carriage from within? I don't know. That's so much creepier than just like a guy in a like Pontiac driving (laughs) up to you and being like, hey, can you get me some children's blood? Right. Like maybe maybe that's part of the whole thing is like the only way I'm going to get these people to do what I want is to have this whole like aesthetic match right you know yes because I if that thing approached me like if a black horse drawn carriage with a creepy vampire ghost hand told me to do something I would be probably pretty scared into doing it like I think if I was with you especially and we were drunk there would be a conversation of like hey are we gonna do this or not and I feel like I would be like, I don't know. I feel like we have no choice because that thing is going to find us, right? Yeah. I mean, we don't know what was going through these guys' minds when they saw that carriage. But it's also basically, I feel like sometimes some of the magic is kind of lost when I'm like regurgitating a story towards you. So I'm just going to describe this really briefly in my own words so that people can understand what happened in this story. So basically, there's this family. They live in Malaga. They're pretty poor. They're working class. And one of the jobs that they have for extra money is they sell hazelnuts on the street. So it's a mom, a dad, a baby, uh, an older son. And then the middle son is the guy, is the kid that ends up being murdered. But this is like not unusual for the mom, for this kid to go missing for hours at a time because they're out there all day selling these hazelnuts. Can Like that's fucking boring to a nine-year-old. I can't even imagine being in that position. Yeah, so he right. he very frequently will, like, walk around, play with other kids he sees in the street, 
Um, he'll go sneak into the cinema and see movies. And so when they're done selling hazelnuts and she doesn't see him around, it's like not the end of the world. She thinks, oh, I'm going to find him at some point. Like he's going to come back at some point. Right. He'll turn up. Exactly. But they're all packed up and he hasn't come back. So she's like, oh, shit. Okay, like, let me go talk to this security guard, which I can only imagine is kind of a scary situation in and of itself because they're not a well-off family. And now she's going to have to say, hey, my son may have snuck into your movie theater to illegally watch movies all day. And I'm sure she's thinking, shit, like, maybe I'm going to have to pay because he snuck in or, you know, it's like a whole to do. So the security guard goes in there. And he, like, walks through the theaters. He comes back. He says, nope, nobody in there. Because now it's dusk, so everything's closing. So then she has to go and alert the police. The police look around. They don't find anything anywhere. Um, Then the next day, all of these volunteers come out. And they're looking around. And still nothing. And then three days later, these little boys that live in the town are walking around this swamp playing hide and seek when one of them tries to hide under this brush, this like big bush. And that's when he sees this decaying, bloody dead body of this little boy. And so he is like running, screaming with all of his friends. They can only imagine and alerts the police. The police come and this this is 1913, so I'm sure forensics are obviously not great, but they basically can't determine how the child was killed. They, all they see is this, like, cut behind his ear, and it leads them to believe that somebody had tried to, like, bleed the child, like, get blood from the child. Then these two guys are kind of, like, drunk and bragging in a bar. Also, their names are like, one of the names is very, very funny to me. It's El Moreno and El Trapero. And El Moreno, it just means like a a darker, complected person. But uh, El Trapero is basically like, I mean, unless it has a different meaning in Spain, I know it as meaning like kind of a rag person, like somebody who like kind of (laughs) is like disheveled and just like, I don't know, like like a mop. It's like a mop, like a dirty rag person. So I'm like, this <laughs> fucking poor guy has the nickname of just like a rag man. Rag. Yeah. <laughs> rag. <laughs> That's honestly go like thinking like go go talk to that rag man over there. Yeah. It's like a really funny. It's, it's funny. <laughs> it's, it's it's also like I've seen jokes about this on the internet before, but it's so true. I feel like. In, um, like, Hispanic culture and Latin American culture, the nicknames that people are given are, like, your worst fear personified. Like, if you're chubby, they will call you, like, Montecas, like, lard, lard butt, like, a lard person. Oh, like, El Gordo, gosh. like, the fat person and, like, right. a tall person. Like, so the fact that this guy was called... Like, they bully you. Yeah, there. but it's, like, out of love. It's just, like, everyone has a nickname that like about their appearance so just the fact i don't know why i found this so funny but like the fact that everyone's calling this guy like rag man i'm just like man he must have really looked (laughs) like down on his luck Um, that's hilarious i kind of like that yeah i okay rag man is now yeah rag man is like up there with gube yeah absolutely rag man should be his own (laughs) cryptid i that's how much i like i like it (laughs) so basically well that's a super fucked up story so you're telling me in this area there's either a ghost man who's 
getting people to bring him innocent children's blood or the there's like just an elite group of people who are part of like some underground network that's trafficking children yes. and harvesting their blood. Yes. So that's what I was going to get to is that so they the police interview these two guys separately, by the way, like so they didn't have time to coordinate their stories. And I'm sorry, but if you're known as being like the town drunk ragman, you're not going to be able to remember the same story <laughs> as your friend unless it's true. Right. So right. they these guys tell the same story that this mysterious black carriage pulls up. They don't know who's in it. The guy says, I'm going to give you money. You're going to give me blood. And they weren't supposed to kill the child. They were just supposed to kind of like torture the child get its blood and then leave. But something ended up going wrong to where like they were afraid the child was going to be able to identify them. And he was already kind of kind of past the point of no return. Like it's kind of unclear. Maybe they had tortured him so much that he was dying. So they just kind of finish him off and then bring the blood to this crossroads. The guy gets it. The interesting part to me is this woman who's called the Vampire of Barcelona. And I might do an entire episode on her because she's so fucking interesting to me in in a terrible way. She's like a piece of shit. But you're right. It was her clientele. I was reading about her. Her clientele were like Barcelona's uh, politicians and like celebrities and super rich people. And it reminds me of our QAnon episode about adrenochrome. I know. I, ugh, that's exactly what I was thinking, but I was like, I don't want to bring it back up. Like, I just want to forget about QAnon <laughs> yeah. and have it like just gone forever. <laughs> right. But that's exactly what I was thinking is I was like, oh, so they've got QAnon in Spain. Yeah. yeah. I see. Yeah. And the deep state has made its way to Spain. The deep okay. state is actually 1900s vampires operating in Spain. <laughs> and when they caught the vampire of Barcelona, this horrible fucking woman. And like I said, I might do an episode on her, so I'm not going to go into great detail here. But they basically found the remains of at least 20 children in her apartment when she Ugh. was finally caught. And she everyone Ugh. knew she was doing this, but she kept getting like off like like they would catch her and then they'd release her and they'd be like, oh, there's no evidence because so many politicians and policemen and elites were her clientele. It's that's weird that just like all over the world, no matter what culture you're from, you have your own deep state that it all ties back to them drinking children's blood. Right. To stay immortal. But unlike America's modern QAnon, there is actual proof about these people, these like rich people in Spain in the 20th century that just drank blood because they thought it would cure tuberculosis or it would cure, you know, these other chronic diseases. which i'm sure gave them other diseases yeah i'm like okay well we cured your tuberculosis but now you have hepatitis b right yeah (laughs) like was it worth it (laughs) yeah okay so natalia to wrap up that story i am going to send you a newspaper clipping because when i told you oh this is like a true story it has verifiable facts i saw you make a face at me because it's like well how the fuck could that be true it's so horrific yeah so i just want to send you Oh, I see A newspaper it. clipping, if so you want to describe it. I am looking at a newspaper clipping, and yeah, there's black and white photos. This says, the caption, there's three people, or four people here. There's a man, a young boy, a woman, and a baby. I'm assuming that's the family, right? And it says, yes, Los padres de la victima del horrible, del horrible crimen y los dos hermanos de... Manolito. So the parents of the victims of a horrible 
crime and the two siblings of Manolito. Is that right? Yes, correct. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like, and describe like how did they look traumatized, don't they? Yeah. I mean, this does not, these people look like they're, I feel so bad for these people because just looking at them, you can already tell that they live a very hard, hard life. And to have that happen to them on top of that is just very sad. Like these people look extremely thin and, um, They just look very, very poor, you know? The second picture looks like three men, and they're sort of looking under a bunch of long grasses or like a bush or brush or something like that. And it says, uh, Caña Veral, donde fue encontrado por unos muchachos el cadáver del desgraciado niño Manuel Sanchez Dominguez que se hallaba cuidadosamente oculto so this has some words i don't know in it but i'm just gonna guess what is canaveral canaveral it's it's Cana? like um it's a plant so it's it's like sugar cane okay so the or sugar like cane reeds, like plants like that the sugar cane where we where they in, it was encountered no the sugar cane where they found the young cadaver of the dis- disgraciado uh, of this small child Manuel Sanchez Dominguez um we're calling yeah something people think it's cult a cult based or something I don't know what what does that mean Alyssa translate that there's like okay. so many different <laughs> words in there that I've never seen before so it means that the the reed bed where some children found the body of the unfortunate child Manuel Sanchez Dominguez that had been carefully hidden. Okay. So they think that so, they know that somebody who we later find out is El Moreno and El Trapero had Wait, are you telling hidden me him. Occulto means hidden? Yes, correct. Oh, wow. Wow. That just really that's interesting because as we know the occult is what the occult is yeah that's a good point interesting that's a good point i never made that connection yeah so but basically my point by showing you this is that this is a real newspaper clipping this is a real event that really happened and like by finding out about this i went down that rabbit hole of learning about the vampire barcelona which is not in andalusia and that's why i say while i was reciting that story to you like she has nothing to do with the guy in the black carriage but the point is just that this was a very common sincerely held belief among the rich people in spain at the time and in fact it was so common that have you ever heard of el coco no me okay me neither wait el coco is that the guy that's like on count dracula i don't know if i've ever seen that but maybe honestly (laughs) that would make a lot of sense because (laughs) elk in spain uh el coco is basically a story that parents tell their children to get them to behave Mm. and there's a little song that parents will sing to their kids to get them to go to sleep and it goes Duermete niño, duermete ya, que viene el coco y te comerá, which means sleep child, sleep now, or else the coco will come and eat you. And um, that's aggressive. What is the coco? Correct. Okay, so according to, I'm just going to read you this little paragraph from expatica.com. Uh, according to Spanish legend, Francisco Ortega, a.k.a. El Moruno, was a man sick with tuberculosis at the beginning of the 20th century. 
He was desperately looking for a cure for the disease, so he sought help from a curandera. She told him he would be cured by drinking the blood of children and rubbing their fat on his chest. And so, El Moruno kidnapped a seven-year-old boy in a cloth bag to slit his underarm and drink his blood. El Cuco, or El Coco, is known for walking up and down the street at night with a black bag, scouting for those children who roam the streets and misbehave. So this is another dude who was living in the 1900s in Spain. A witch doctor tells him, hey, you want to know how to cure your illness? Go kidnap a child, slit its armpit, drink its blood, and rub its fat on your body. And he fucking did it. No. So just the fact that there were so many... Isn't that mind-blowing that there were so many people in Spain... I mean, like, one is too many people, but we're, (laughs) like, we're talking about, like, hundreds of people that were rich in Spain that got this advice from witch doctors. Witch doctors were providing them, in some cases, with the bones and blood and hair and fat of children. And in other cases, they were just telling people, hey, go kidnap your own child. Like, go do, make the salve yourself or make the elixir yourself. Yeah, I don't think I'd have the balls to be, like, edgy and barcelona at that time because if someone straight up told like i can get behind astrology i can get behind like crystals you know i love yoga i'm into like meditation but if like the way to be like alternatively like edgy into like wellness was oh you need to drink children's blood and like smear their (laughs) fat all over you i would be like um absolutely not no i can't do it (laughs) (laughs) that's a really good point like modern like one percent like we live in such a comfortable society now that it's like oh the path to health and wellness is reading the stars and lighting some sage and um like putting a crystal next to manifest your intentions with a candle right but back in the day, life was just so fucking hard to the maximum. Like people, <laughs> it was like balls to the wall, maximum difficulty level that it was like, all right, you want to live past the age of 20, kidnap a child, stab it, drink its blood, and then grind up its bones and make a paste. Like that's how intense it was to live back then. <sighs> poor, poor children of this time. They have to worry yeah. about someone going around that's going to do that to them, too. El Coco. Also, that led me down another rabbit hole about, like, uh, cryptids in Spain. And this has nothing to do with the story, but I just want to tell you. You know how we have the tooth fairy in America? Yes. In Spain, they have Ratoncito Perez, which is a mouse. He's a little mouse whose whose name is Perez. Ratoncito. And he wears... <laughs> Ratoncito, and he wears a little hat and a little vest, and he comes in through the pipes at night, and he leaves coins for children's teeth. Is that like not the <laughs> cutest thing you've ever heard? Okay, that is straight up adorable. I would way rather have a vest-wearing tiny rat come and visit yeah. me at night than a fairy. Yeah, exactly. Think of the magic of that as a wow. child. Yeah, America has it. no culture. Agreed. Well, we just borrow from everybody, but make it worse. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Now, the final Andalusian ghost story that I have for you today comes from the province of Jaén and is my absolute favorite of the three stories from this episode. And it is fucking wild. Okay. So I need you to take your robe and buckle the fuck up because shit is happening. 
It's okay. buckled. I'm ready. It's buckled. All right. Hold on for your dear life. So in the city of Belmez de la Moraleda in Jaén, Andalusia, Spain, there is a house known as La Casa de las Carras or the House of the Faces. The house is thought to be the home of hundreds of spirits who reveal themselves to anyone who enters. It does not matter who you are. If you go in this house, you are guaranteed to see a ghost. And that is literally, that is such a fact that there are thousands of visitors that go to this house every year. And they successfully, every single person is guaranteed to successfully photograph the face of a ghost that haunts the walls and floors of this house. I, sh- I shit you not. Okay, you better have photos of this then. Oh, I do. I have so many photos. You're going to be so excited because the worst part of telling a ghost story is when you have no photo evidence to back right. it up. Okay, so you may be asking yourself, but Alyssa, how is that possible? How could anyone, how could I walk into this house and get a guaranteed photo of a ghost? Isn't it supposed to be super rare that that happens? Well, it all began on August 23rd, 1971. 52-year-old Maria Gomez Camara was at her kitchen stove stirring a pot of fried peppers for her family when, from behind her, her young grandson suddenly screamed in horror. Whipping around to see what was the matter, Maria observed her grandson, his face contorted in fear, staring at the concrete kitchen floor. He slowly raised a shaky hand and pointed to something on the ground. Grandma, there's a man in the floor, he screamed. Maria rushed to her grandson's side and stared at the floor. At first, all she could see stamped into the concrete was a stain. Perhaps from soot or grease, she thought. After all, she was in the kitchen and she did a lot of cooking for her large family. But as she continued to stare, the stain began to take on a more sinister shape. The stain appeared to be in the shape of a blurry face. Disturbed, Maria ushered her grandson out of the kitchen and began to fervently scrub at the stain with a kitchen sponge and soap. But the stain wouldn't budge. She continued to scrub for over an hour, making no progress at all. Instead, the image seemed to only grow darker and sharper. Disturbed and exhausted, Maria threw a kitchen towel over the stain and decided to try again tomorrow. That night, Maria thought she could hear whispering voices coming from the floors in her house. The following day, Maria was back in the kitchen making breakfast when her husband, Juan, entered with their son, Miguel. Seeing the kitchen towel on the ground and assuming his wife had dropped it while cooking, Juan bent over to pick it up. No, don't, Maria yelled. But it was too late. As Juan removed the towel from the floor, the same dark face from yesterday stared up at him. This time, it seemed to have changed positions from the day before. The face was so disturbing that Juan himself tried to scrub it off the floor. But again, the face only seemed to come more into focus with each effort to wipe it clean. The expression on the face seemed to change, as if the face was laughing at the family. Fed up and frightened, Juan went to retrieve a pickaxe from the yard. 
When he came back into the kitchen, he proceeded to swing the pickaxe with mighty force into the kitchen floor until the face in the concrete was reduced to rubble. Juan and Miguel then cleaned up the rubble and poured new concrete flooring onto the ground. Finally, the face was gone. For a few days, everything returned to normal in the Pereira household. The mystery of the laughing face slipped away from their minds as they returned to their normal schedule of work and school. Then, as Maria was making dinner one evening, something on the floor caught her eye. She turned to look and could hardly believe her eyes. The face was back and staring directly at her. Maria screamed. By this time, the very religious Maria had already alerted some of her neighbors to the face on the floor since she had asked them to pray for her family. When Maria screamed, several of her neighbors came running to check on her. Together, Maria and her neighbors gathered in the kitchen and stared at the face that had appeared on her newly poured concrete floor. What could it all mean? News of the face on the floor spread like wildfire throughout the normally sleepy town. Within hours, neighbors were lining up around the block to come look at the face in Maria's floor. The stain became known as La Pava throughout Belmez, which translates to the tea kettle likely because the stain was located next to the stove. And I have a picture of Lapava that I'm going to send you, Natalia. Yeah, I'm very interested in this. Oh, my God. Ah, that's so creepy. Okay, so I was ex- not expecting, first of all, it to look like this much like a face. So I'm very surprised. Okay, Alyssa sent me a photo of what looks like the ground like stained concrete or something like that and yeah it's very clearly a face like two eyebrows two eyes nose two nostrils even got the laugh lines next to the like the lips and yeah then it looks like the mouth is open and yes or or maybe it's a mustache maybe that's a mustache and not laugh lines in a beard yeah, but it's clearly a face. Like, there's no mistaking that. That's so creepy. So it just materialized, though? Like, yes. what did they do to bring that haunted shit into their lives? Well, that's what she's wondering, too, because she's super Catholic. Yeah. So this this is very disturbing and alarming to her. And it's they're from, like, a very small, very poor town basically nothing really happens there it i think it i read it had less than a thousand inhabitants at the time that the story took place so this is it's basically just like a town that has a church and that's kind of yeah. it so this yeah. to her was really upsetting and so it's easy to understand how she would have run to her neighbors immediately and told them hey this crazy shit's happening i need you to pray for me and it also like when i first heard the story i was like wow it's really dramatic that her husband took a pickaxe and just like smashed yeah. the floor yeah but it kind of makes sense because if you're super religious and you don't have a lot of education you're from a poor town you probably your mind is probably automatically going to jump to like this is a demon or a ghost or something bad especially because like you said that face is fucking creepy it yeah, looks well, what like else it's laughing is it? yeah what else was that face from like i'm trying to think of logical explanation for why that face could be there Th- why would the soot make that kind of pattern or something i don't know and they have no reason to lie about this since they believe you know that they're haunted and that's like not something cool to brag about it means you've been like exactly fucking around with something you're not supposed to and right 
Yeah, so that's so creepy. You guys look at these pictures on the Instagram and tell me what you think this is. Is there some sort of logical explanation for this? Because I'm freaked out. I need someone to be like, no, yeah, this is just if you (laughs) pour (laughs) your tea in the exact same way for five hours straight, it'll make this perfect face in the concrete. (laughs) But yeah, no, I don't see how that could be a mistake. That's like... You guys, it's a fucking face. <laughs> it's fucking creepy as shit. Okay. So, so if you go to that house, you there's more than just that face you can see? Oh yeah. So, this was the first the first face was supposedly exactly like this, but a little more like um a little less defined and then her husband came destroyed it. it. So, right. Yeah, so, we don't have any photos of even, it. It came back stronger. even stronger. Right. Yes. So eventually so many people start visiting Maria's house each day that news of La Pava, which is this face, mm-hmm. reached the mayor of Belmez himself, Manuel Rodriguez Rivas. And Manuel was like, what the fuck is going on in my little fucking tiny town? Nothing yeah. ever happens here. So he decides he's going to send some representatives to see the face in person. And he's kind of hoping... Like, maybe this is an exaggerated story. I mean, we have, like, a very small population. I'm sure there's some logical explanation, and people are just kind of getting whipped up into a frenzy because nothing ever happens here, right? Right. So he's hoping that he can prove that it's a hoax or prove that there's a logical explanation so that life can return to normal because this is kind of taking over everything in the town. Yeah. So Yeah, I couldn't right. imagine. <laughs> Yeah. So mean in the meantime, while the mayor is kind of thinking all of this stuff and getting ready to send people to Maria's house, Maria's husband Juan is preparing to once again destroy the kitchen floor <laughs> and pour new concrete. Like they are not entertained. Juan, by- that did not ha- work the first time. It made it worse. <laughs> right. Why would that work a second time? Right. I ask myself that all the time, though, when I do things more than once and expecting a different result. Like, right. oh, I stayed up till 3 a.m. last night and I felt like shit today guess I better do that again so I, I kind of like feel where Juan's coming from but so anyway Juan is preparing to just pickaxe the shit out of the floor because he is not entertained he does not like that there's all these people in his home he doesn't like all the attention La Pava is bringing them because mm-hmm. you're right people are starting to say like what did this family do right like why are they cursed is this the devil and for a super catholic family in a super catholic town where there's basically just a church and that's it. This is not a cool thing. It's not cool to be alternative. So yeah, <laughs> he's getting ready to pickaxe the shit out of the floor. But Mayor Manuel steps in and he forbids the Pereira family from destroying La Pava. Instead, he orders that his representatives cut around the face and remove it for scientific study. Because his goal is to prove this is a painted on face or this is soot in a weird pattern right. or something like that. So a crew of professionals descend upon Maria's home and gingerly cut out La Pava. After removing the face, the crew decided to continue digging into the foundation of the home, much like Juan had done with his pickaxe the first time La Pava had appeared. However, this time the crew continued to dig deeper and deeper until they hit something. Ten feet below the kitchen floor, excavators were met with another mystery. Four skeletons were interred in the dirt below the house. What? Adding to the mystery, 
all four of these skeletons were missing their skulls. <gasps> so that's what the faces were? It was like their ghost faces? Oh, I don't I don't understand yeah, why, like but it's related. <laughs> it has to be related. There's no it's no coincidence that there's just a why mysterious are there ghost face. Decapitated skeletons underneath their house. Well, that's a great fucking question, and everybody's wondering the same thing. So at first, the townsfolk think, okay, well, maybe these are the bones of soldiers because the Spanish Civil War had taken place um, along a, a few years. I, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but there was a Spanish Civil War, and it was like a big fucking deal. Like, Maria was alive for it, so it wasn't really that long ago. She was pretty young, I think, when it happened. But it's still fresh in the town's mind because they saw loved ones die in the war. They had, you know, family members that were soldiers that died. Um, families got separated. So it was a big deal. So that's what people are thinking. They're like, well, maybe this is like some war crime shit. Like yeah. these are the skeletons of some people that had something horrible done to them during the Spanish Civil War. But the bones get excavated and taken to a forensic laboratory and they end up being carbon dated to the 12th century. But no identifying markers were recovered, so the identity of the four skeletons was never determined. All they know is that these are four people who died in the 12th century and were buried where eventually Maria's house was built. So scientists, being ever logical, kind of come up with this explanation where they're like, well... The Pereira's house is next to a church. The church is really fucking old. Yeah. Maybe at one time, this area that is now a neighborhood was actually a cemetery. Maybe it was mm. like an unmarked cemetery. Good guess. My response to that is like, why were these bones not in caskets then? You know right. what I mean? Like, why were they not in coffins? Yeah. But that's kind of what they decided. So after being studied, the bones are released from the laboratory and they're given a proper Catholic burial. So keep in mind that at this point, La Pava's been removed. They found these fucking skeletons under under La Pava. They remove them and they give them a proper Catholic burial. Right. So Maria, being Catholic, she's thinking problem solved. Like this is what the problem was. Is yeah, that now it's going to be healed. Exactly. Because as we've learned from most of our cultural folklore uh, episodes and cultural story, like episodes that deal with other countries and their cultures, one of the main things for a lot of different countries, America included, mm -hmm. uh, United States included, is that people need to have a proper burial in certain religions yes. in order to pass on. Yes. So this makes sense to her. And she's thinking, all right, everything back to normal. So they end up, you know, they put... Um, you know, dirt back in the hole. They put pour new concrete. The concrete's brand new and clean. And she's thinking, great, problem fucking solved. And for about a week, literally everything was back to normal. They stop having visitors. Kind of the news is kind of dying down. Everyone thinks problem solved. Until one morning, Maria comes downstairs to find La Pava reappeared in the new concrete. And this time, he wasn't alone. No. Three smaller faces appeared around La Pava, and they appear to be the faces of children. <gasps> Maria counted the new faces. Four total. Could these be the faces of the headless skeletons that had been under her floorboards? Yeah. That's kind of what I'm thinking. And... It makes total sense. Again, I feel like Maria's being very logical about this. She's 
making these connections. And so she's like, all right, what did I do last time that helped me? Um, the mayor found out and he sent someone to like excavate my house and he helped me with like scientists and stuff. Right. And she's also thinking I can't keep paying to like get my floor re-poured. So I need help. I need somebody to take an interest in this. So she reaches back out to the mayor and she's hoping that he's going to be willing to send another team to remove the new faces, pour new concrete. But by alerting the mayor, she inadvertently kind of alerts more people again because news starts spreading that the faces are back yeah so, this is i mean this is amazing they're like the face came back and it's got three more faces with it you gotta see this yeah shit. right it's nuts so they keep having visitors coming back like all down the street like people visiting her house and keep in mind she's not making any money from this like this is not a fun time for her it's just it's basically just harassment right. so the the mayor though he does want to help so he um is getting you know analysis done of the first lapava that he cut out and the scientists basically are running whatever fucking tests they run to see what is going on with this piece of concrete and the results of the report are that no paint fragments, no pigments, nothing, like nothing you can paint or draw with yeah. was detected. So the origin of the faces can't be explained. Oh my God. I love this story. Yeah, it's nuts. So like I said, busloads of visitors begin arriving at Maria's house daily, hoping to see the faces in person. By the fall of 1971, it's estimated that Maria was receiving between 1,000 and 10,000 guests a day. Oh, my God. And she's totally overwhelmed. And she's she decides, all right, this is a two-story house. Me and my family, we're just going to live upstairs. And we're going to leave the front door unlocked because I'm tired of people just banging on my door, coming in at all hours. Yeah. Like, I'd rather them just, like, come in, look, and leave. So she takes all of her, basically all of her expensive shit and just, like, moves upstairs with her family. And that's very courteous, I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. But I also think she's from such a small town that I just don't think she knew what to even do. You know, like imagine you're living in a town of like 500 people. Maybe some of our listeners do live in small rural towns. And then all of a sudden buses are pulling up. Comment below if you found something interesting in, in your house, if you would set up a museum in your home for everyone in your town to come look at it for free. Or maybe you already did that, in which case I really want to fucking know about that. <laughs> so so then one day Maria notices that a new face appeared on the floor. This one became known as El Palau because it appeared to be the image of a bald man estimated to be in his 50s or 60s. So I'm going to send you a picture of El Palau and I want you to describe it to our listeners. Why are all these faces coming up? Because at first I thought it was the skeletons because there's four skeletons, but now there's even more faces coming up. Are the ghosts like evolving into different ghosts? Are they growing in age or like are they just inviting other friends over and they're like, hey, we're at this place where this these people are just cool with us. They're not pick up axing us or anything. They're just letting us live there. In fact, they're so cool that they're just, you know, letting hundreds of people come stare at us every day. Like you got to get yeah. over here. <laughs> You got to become a Lapava. So the first picture I sent you is of those three other faces that crowded around oh, yeah. Lapava. And then the second one is oh of El God. Palau. So if you can describe those. 
these are just so clear. Like these, these, if you, I mean, it's crazy that there's no sign of pigment or any kind of drawing because it literally looks like perfect drawings of people. So whatever's projecting itself out there is like really wants it to be known as a person, you know, like it's very clear. So this one of the four looks like a girl and she's got her hands to her chest and she's looking forward with kind of like a look of sorrow. And there's a young child next to her, looks like a little boy, kind of looking forward with that same look on his face. And then in darker colors on the opposite side, there's two faces looking in the opposite direction that almost look like a shadow version of the first people, like just like a sadder version of them. Of a little boy and a woman, and they're looking the opposite way. So, I don't know. This feels, like, demonic or weird. And, and then, the more that you look at it, the more you can see other faces, right? It's, like, a, it's it's crazy. Like, there's another face. If you turn it to the other side, you can see, like, two eyes on the left side and a little mouth underneath it. And then above the woman, I see, like, a skull. I I mean... Oh. It's like the more you look at it, the more you can see faces. Yeah, I, I don't want to look at this more, though, because I feel like I'm getting haunted by it. So I'm exiting out right. of that photo. <laughs> I'm looking at the next photo you sent me. It's just a big rock with, yeah, like a really creepy little... This one doesn't even look human. It just looks like a creepy ghost alien thing crouching. Scary as shit. So scary. So... After months of visitors, a local newspaper finally picks up the story. And as the fame of the Belmez faces grew, news reaches outside of Belmez into the governor of Hyen. And much like the mayor of Belmez, the governor of Hyen was both intrigued and bothered by the story. And he also wants to disprove the faces as a hoax. So he hires renowned Spanish paranormal investigator named Herman de Arumosa, and Herman enlists the help of his colleague, Professor Hans Binder, an internationally respected paranormal researcher from Germany. And according to Encyclopedia.com, Herman reported on some 18 Belmez faces that had grown beyond the cemented hearth on the tiled kitchen floor. Even when the professor covered and sealed the floor with plastic, new faces appeared under the plastic, although the seals were not tampered with. So basically, <gasps> this governor is like, all right, we're going to debunk this once yeah. and for all. Um, so let's get this guy who's super famous as a paranormal researcher in Spain. Like, people respect him. He's not just some, you know, quote unquote, psychic or witch right. doctor or whatever. And he, so his name's Herman. And Herman gets his colleague Hans from Germany. So now this is like an international effort. And they say, okay, here's what we're going to do. To to prove that it's a hoax, we're going to tell the family they cannot go into the kitchen for like two weeks. And we're going to put down plastic. We're going to seal off the kitchen, put down this plastic seal, like a yeah. laminate over the floor. So that way there's no way that if someone's painting this, there's no way it can be done. Right. And what ends up happening is more faces appear underneath that plastic seal. I feel like these fate, like, I feel like, especially in that photo, it looks like, like a happy version of the t- the two, the mom and the little boy, and then a sad version of the mom and the little boy. So I wonder if this house is just like a hell, you know? Right. I, don't know. I know. It's, it, they're definitely not comforting faces at least in my opinion I look at this and I'm like what the fuck is happening this is not good 
So besides doing this like sealed off experiment, Hermann and Hans also decide to set up special tape recorders in multiple rooms in the house and they leave them running at night. And when they listen back to the recordings, they could hear multiple disembodied voices <gasps> that didn't belong to any member of the Pereira family. No. And these were EVP recordings, which we've talked about EVPs on this show before. And the the voices include the voice of a child and many male and female voices. And on his first recording, Herman says that he picked up the voices of a couple talking and then yelling at each other and then making noises that he described as pornographic. <gasps> so it sounds like maybe like a fight and then makeup sex. I don't know. That's oh just gosh. like ghosts. They're and- just like us. Yeah, right. <laughs> 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 that we should add that to our LGH newsletter. Where it's just like, ghosts, they're just like us. They fuck. They yell. Um, And then on one of the recordings, a a disembodied voice even addresses Herman by by his name, saying, (gasps) Herman, lift the patio cement up. And when Herman asks the voice, why do you ask me this? A female voice answered, saying, yo sigo enterrada, or I am still buried. When Herman asked the question, ¿Qué ocurre en ese lugar? Or, what happens here? His EVP recorder picked up a voice that said, El infierno empieza aquí. Which means, hell starts here. I knew it. You fucking called it. I knew it. Oh my god. So, these people literally live on top of hell and they're just just moved to the top floor? Rather than That's like what her moved mom out forever. <laughs> because why like why would these voices be saying this stuff? So Herman hears this and he's giving an, an interview about this later. And he describes the sounds as, quote, a mixture of hell and a brothel. Because he's hearing like couples fucking and yelling at each other. I mean, that sounds like hell. It sounds. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Love is hell. Yes. And that's what he's hearing. And he's even hearing um, somebody's telling him, oh, I'm still buried here. I need you to dig underneath the patio. So according to an article published to burialsandbeyond.com, in September of 1981, Jose Martinez Romero, a writer and paranormal investigator, visited the Pereira household and recorded his experiences. Romero claimed that he personally witnessed the appearance and disappearance of several faces in the new kitchen. And Romero took, but then he takes photos and when he gets the film developed, he can't see anything in the photos. I mean, either way is not a good time. Like, I feel like he's on top of a hell of some sort, like Andalusian hell. And it doesn't really matter whether or not he hallucinated those faces or they were actually there because it's literally hell confirmed. It's fucking, I don't, it's scary. I was getting really bad vibes when I was researching this story. I want to hear these voice recordings. Well, I couldn't find, actually, that's a lie. I found one, so I'll send it to you right now. So the only recording I could find is the one I just sent you. Uh, if you want to listen to it, it's not the one that has all the voices, but you have to keep in mind that Herman, when he made these recordings, technology was not that good. So it's not like he had the ability to transfer it to a computer very easily. So I don't know if he still 
has these recordings or what happened to them, but this is the only one I could find. Okay, I feel like I definitely shouldn't have heard that, <laughs> whatever that was. <laughs> it was. Is that not some of the scariest shit you've ever heard? That, like, to me, it reminded me of the Portal to Hell episode from 2019 yeah. that we I recorded with um, James DeAngelis, and he sh- he let me listen to a recording of an alleged Portal to Hell that's in Russia. It sounded so similar to that, and it gives me... It makes me Nightmares. feel like somebody poured cold water over me. Yeah, I really don't like that at all. Yeah, terrible. So Jose Martinez Romero, the guy that took the pictures of the faces, he says that he saw some materialize in front of him and then disappear. Well, he was trying to get pictures as these faces were um, showing up and then disappearing. And so when he got the film, I know, so scary. And when he got the film developed, you can't see any faces in it. So... He doesn't want people to think that he's lying. So in 1988, he returns to the house with another investigator named Andrew McKenzie. And the faces, there's still a lot of faces all around the house. But Romero is surprised because the faces have changed quite a bit. They're darker, but they're more blurry. Mm. And this leads him to believe that there is a direct link between the faces and Maria Pereira's state of mind. Because when Maria is feeling unwell or sick or tired, the images kind of fade. And so this leads him to come up with this hypothesis. He thinks that these faces are directly tied to Maria. The reason why the faces are there is because of Maria. (gasps) And that when she dies, these images are going to disappear permanently. She's like and possessed or something. So maybe she has. Um, I mean, we're going to talk about the theories at the end, but yeah, they basically think that she might have the ability to make these faces appear. So in 1990, the Institute of Ceramics and Glass in Spain decide to run a series of chemical tests on two concrete samples from Maria's home that contained faces on them. And yet again, the researchers are hoping to prove that somebody had painted the faces as a hoax but much like those two previous tests um, conducted by the mayor of Belmez and then later the governor of Jaén the results of these tests come back negative for paint pigments too so the appearance of the faces still could not be explained then in 2014 an investigative journalism tv show called Cuarto Milenio presented by Iker Jimenez carried on a technical analysis in order to discover the possible hoax the research was carried out by Jose Javier Grasenea doctor in chemical engineering and Luis Alamanacos a forensic criminalist and after extracting samples from the faces under the house owner's permission Grasenea proceeded to analyze them and concluded that the images, quote, weren't made with paint and, quote, according to scientific knowledge and techniques employed in the analysis, there is no external manipulation or elements in the faces. And Alamanakos decides to take it even a step further. And he's like, all right, well, there's no there's absolutely no paint, like no pencil, nothing. But 
you know, maybe some skeptics are saying, well, yeah, but you could pour, you know, acid or you could use other things found in nature to create them. So he takes hydrochloric acid, a bunch of different concrete solvents and silver nitrate, and he tries to reproduce the faces and he can't do it. So he says that his failure to attempt to replicate the faces concludes that he's like basically bewildered. Like he doesn't think it can be done and he can't explain how it happened. Yeah. These faces are unexplainable. Like they're exactly no one knows how they showed up. It's a true mystery. Yeah, exactly. It's a true mystery. And in two, remember that hypothesis I said where that one paranormal investigator thought that once Maria dies, the faces are going to disappear and that'll be proof that she was like doing something to cause them. So in 2004 at 84 years old, Maria dies and the house is left unoccupied. Maria's children had long since moved out and married and her husband preceded her in death by some years. After her death, no new faces appeared in the house, but the old ones still remain to this day. The house has been converted into a museum, and the locals renamed the street in Maria's honor. So if you go on Google Maps today and type in Calle Maria Gomez, 523568 Belmez de la Moraleda, Jaén, Spain, you will see that from 5 to 8 p.m. on weekdays and 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on weekends, you can enter La Casa de las Caras for yourself and you can see the faces now slightly faded in person. Mm. So I'm going to send you photos. Wow. Would you go there? Absolutely. I would love to go there. This is so interesting to me. So let me send you all of the faces that I haven't sent you yet. And I want you to describe. Uh, there's so many, honestly. So just pick like one uh, one or two or whatever jumps out at you. And if you can describe them. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. There's, so there's a bunch of photos here of, yeah, faces. Like scary, weird faces. And honestly, these are very scary and unsettling to me. Like, I don't even want to describe them because you feel, I feel like you're being very casual about this. Like, you just told me about a a house where there was, like, bodies found underneath it. And there's, like, the portal to hell being possibly located there. And they have ghosts on or disembodied voices on tape saying that it's like a portal to hell and like people having sex. Like it just, I feel like this is haunted. I don't even want to look at those photos. It's scary. Yeah. They're, they're super scary. I mean, there's, and there's a wide variety. There's like photos of some of the faces look like they're of women, like with hair, like long hair. Other ones are really big. Um, just the face and not the shoulders. Some of them have shoulders. Some of them, it's a profile. Some of them, it's straight on. Some look like children. Some look like men. Like, it's definitely very creepy. And basically, this whole story boils down to three theories. And I want you, Natalia, to listen to these and tell me which one you you believe in. Okay. So theory number one is that this whole thing is a hoax. And This theory has gained traction in recent years because following Maria's death, new faces began to pop up in Belmez. While no new faces have shown themselves in La Casa de las Caras, Maria's childhood home where she was born, which is located just a few meters from La Casa de las Caras, suddenly had faces pop up overnight. 
Subsequent studies of those faces have shown that they were most likely created with household cleaners, such as bleach, and were just a way for a popular psychic researcher named Pedro Amaros to gain notoriety and money from the discovery. And in November of 2004, the newspaper El Mundo published the article, New Belmez Faces Faked by Ghostbusters and Municipal Government. And this makes me really mad because basically these faces are in a completely different house. They were proven to be a hoax. And that makes everyone think that the original house was also a hoax. So that's theory number one. Yeah, I don't believe in that. But go ahead. Tell me the other theories. (laughs) Theory number two is that this is a haunting. And most people in the town... Yeah. Well, if most people in the town think that it's a positive haunting, and that's not surprising because they're all very religious, so it's easier to think of this as like some miracle caused by God. And Maria herself even said that when she died, she was she gave an interview before she died, and she said, when I die, I hope that the faces follow me into heaven. Because to her, she's thinking, she's like kind of made peace with it, and she's hoping that these are the faces of angels or some miracle caused by God, and that when she dies, the faces are going to go with her to heaven. Then there's this other side of the world that thinks, no, these are not, this is not a positive haunting. This is a negative haunting. This is demonic. This is possibly a portal to hell. And that is proof. Um, There's proof for this based on the fact that skeletons that were missing heads were found under the floorboards. There were these recordings that show screaming and, you know, sex noises. And somebody even says on a recording, I'm buried here. Hell starts here. And according to some locals, this house was rumored to have been used as a torture chamber for women and children in the 17th century. I only read one article that said that and I couldn't really find anything to back it up. But I guess that's like the local rumor. So, I mean, that's the that is the theory that I believe in. I don't think that this is a positive haunting because I those faces look fucked up. If it was a positive haunting, put like beautiful photos all over my home. Right. Like, like paint me a gorgeous mural. Like give me some fucking live, laugh, love. Not yeah. a creepy man's <laughs> laughing face where if I take a pickaxe to it because it's so unsettling, it just reappears darker. Right. Exactly. It doesn't seem positive to me either, but I just had to mention that because it is one of the theories. Then there's theory number three, which is the final theory. Have you ever heard of something called photography? Photography? Thoughtography. Thoughtography? Like where you take yes. photos of thoughts? Yes. T H O T or T H O U G H T? T H O U G H T. Oh, no. Please proceed. Okay. So I reached out to a parapsychologist who studies photography to see if he would be interested in doing an interview for this episode. But since he's in the UK, we haven't really been able to figure out a day and time that works for both of us yet. So if I get the interview in time, I'll drop it in here. But if I don't get it in time, I'll probably just make a whole episode dedicated to this topic because personally, I think it's fucking crazy and I don't fully understand it. So according to Ranker.com, some people believe that photography, the ability to burn images into objects with one's mind, is a form of telekinesis. And as I was kind of looking into this topic, there have actually been people, there was like one guy from Japan who can supposedly do this, and 
he's been studied and people can't figure out how he's doing this, but he seems to be burning images from his mind into like a piece of paper or into a wall. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's thought to be telekinesis. So if Maria had this ability, regardless of whether or not she knew about it, it is possible that she kind of like imagined the faces of Belmez into existence. Mm. So in a nutshell, in a nutshell, the theory behind photography posits that some people are able to manifest their emotions and thoughts into another physical form if they choose to concentrate them in that way. And believers in photography point out that the faces in the floor seem to move and change with Pereira's moods. And this would basically suggest that the faces are kind of like a mood ring. But if that's true, then the faces, basically people who believe in photography kind of think, well, then the faces should disappear when she dies. And as we know, the faces didn't disappear when she dies. So... I mean, maybe she was just super fucking good at photography and could burn the faces for eternity into the house. I don't know. But that's theory number three. And there's basically this really sad backstory, too, about um, Maria. Like I said, she was born at the, during the Spanish Civil War. And there's this little story that is that aired on that show I talked about that aired in 2014 called Cuarto Millennio. And uh-huh. it goes into her like early life. And she watched a lot of members of her family leave on this wagon and like her uncle was in the war and he died in the war and a lot of her family members died in the war and so some people think that La Pava is actually her uncle and maybe like this was a very pivotal moment in her life I mean if you can imagine your your a lot of your extended family just dying at yeah. war that's very close to home so some people think that because she was so affected by that experience that she then imagined the faces of her family into her home mm. Well, I mean, that's still haunted, like being able to imagine a face into your home. But then it doesn't explain the disembodied voices and all of that, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And it's I mean, something I did read an interview with her son, Miguel, and he said that he personally doesn't think that there's any demons in the house. But also he is super Catholic. So I just feel not to discount people who are Catholic because my dad's Catholic. Right. But he's not going to want to believe that there's a bunch of demons in his house, you know? Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't blame him for saying that he doesn't think there are any demons in his house because no one wants to believe there's demons in their house. That like makes me believe there's demons in there even more if he's like, no, 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 there's not demons in here. Because like, I feel like everyone thinks there's demons in their house, especially after you listen to a scary episode of of Let's Get Haunted. Yeah, exactly. So let me just read my sources really quickly and then I want your closing thoughts. My sources are Wikipedia, Atlas Obscura, an article published to sevilla.abc.es entitled Sor Ursula, el fantasma que habita en el Parlamento de Andalucía by José Manuel García Bautista. An article written by Raúl G.T. published to malagaweb.com. The People in the Floor, the Unexplained Case of the Belmez Faces by Planet Today News. Belmez Faces, an article by Luis Morado published to atlasobscura.com. The Definitive List of Spain's Ghosts and Ghoulies Originate in Andalusia, written by Lawrence Dollimore on theolivepress.es. El Increíble Fenómeno de Las Caras de Belmez, published to abc.es. 
encyclopedia.com, The House of Faces, published to burialsandbeyond.com, also a book I bought on Google Books called Más Allá de los Fenómenos Paranormales by Germán de Arumosa and Pilar Ramiro de Pano, and an article written by April A. Taylor published to Ranker.com called There is Credible Evidence the Belmez Faces are a Genuine Paranormal Phenomenon. Wow, what a crazy story. I, I mean, all of them were wild, but that last one, you were right. I'm really glad that I buckled up because that, yeah, that was a great, great story. Um, yeah, I mean, I really feel like it's some sort of portal to hell or something, or maybe if it is connected with her state of mind, she is like some sort of portal or those spirits can talk with her because she's a medium. So maybe she does have this th- ability to do thoughtography with her uh, telekinesis, but she's like a medium. So those souls are reaching out to her. I'm not sure. Yeah, I feel like the idea of telekinesis is very believable to me That because as you pointed out, okay, if these faces are supposed to be of those four skeletons that were found in the floor, then how come hundreds of faces appeared in the house? Why didn't it just stop at four? So I think, okay, well, yeah, maybe like you said, she's some type of medium or her Raycon is super strong or she, her third eye is really open or something without her even being aware. And she can kind of channel these spirits and think them into existence or think them into being able to communicate. But I also think those recordings from that paranormal investigator, those EVP recordings were just so insane that it makes me think possibly this is a portal to hell. Yeah, I mean, there's something Maria wasn't telling us, obviously, you know, and the fact that she was able to just live in that house and she went upstairs and was just like, "Eh, don't worry about it, you know? Like there's something yeah. there's something about her. I don't know. Maybe one of our listeners can connect all the dots. What are your guys' theories? Let us know. And also when she said, Oh, I hope these faces follow me to heaven, but then they didn't, I kind of think maybe that's proof right. that these were demon demon faces because they couldn't go to heaven with her. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. They're just stuck very creepy. Stuck to that house. So creepy. So which of those three stories was your favorite? We had the nun. Then we had the vampire. Then we had the fa- the Belmez faces. The nun I didn't like at all because it was just too scary, you know. And I didn't yeah. I didn't <laughs> like the nun. Like she's just like a bitch. I don't like people who are just miserable like that and try to bring everyone else around them down. So the fact that this right. ghost was basically that <laughs> was really annoying to me. Where. The second story, that ghost was kind of cool. Like, he had, like, a cool horse-drawn carriage and was, like, possibly part of the liberal elite of... <laughs> of, of Malaga. Yeah, and so that was kind of cool to me. Not not down with the children murder at all, though, so I'm torn. <laughs> I feel like the last story is my favorite because it doesn't have children murder and it doesn't have a haunted nun but it does have someone who can possibly either do telekinesis with their mind to create art or a portal to hell, which I think is equally exciting to me. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with you. The third story was my favorite. That was the original story that I found, but it wasn't long enough for a full episode. But I do commend uh, Sister Ursula for a really shattering uh, all preconceived notions of the Grim Reaper yeah. and being just a giant bitch. Yeah. Good Fuck, for her. Man. 
Have you guys heard of these <laughs> stories? I'm wondering if people from Spain probably know all these, right? Yeah, if you are a listener who is of Spanish descent or lives in Spain or has family in Spain, definitely let us know if you've heard any of these. Drop a comment in the SoundCloud or go to at Let's Get Haunted and leave a comment on the photo dump on Instagram. But yeah, I want to hear what you guys think. What was your favorite story? And thank you so much, Natalia, for going on this Spanish journey with me. Well, thank you for bringing me along on this Spanish journey. So, I yeah, if you guys want to send us to Spain, I would love to go to Spain as well. So Yeah, send us to Jaén. Send us to the Belmez Faces. Let's fucking do it. Well, Natalia, would you like to do our sign-off? BRB, gotta go listen to some ghosts having sex in my floors. (laughs) Bye. Bye.